0: Well again, welcome to CA Church Online. My name's Sam, I'm one of the pastors here, and I wanna say an extra special welcome to our Mariner campus, our Town Center campus. We're actually standing out front of our Town Center campus right now. Uh, I wanna say welcome to our Ethos community, and anyone else who's joining us online, maybe for the first time, it's possible maybe a friend sent you a link and you decided to tune in. I'm just, I'm so aware that there's so many things fighting for your attention. There's so many things you could choose to watch online, and so I'm thankful that you would choose to spend some time with us. Well, this is a perfect time to say Happy Mother's Day to all our moms. We have some amazing women in our community. And whether you're a biological mom, or a foster mom, or a stepmom, or maybe you're a big sister who's had to step up into the role of mom in your house because of your family dynamic, or, or maybe you don't have any kids of your own, but you've invested your life into our children's ministry or our youth ministry, or you've poured into the next generation through some other means of doing that. And, we just want to say we honor you. We're thankful for you. We appreciate all the things you do behind the scenes that no one else sees, but you do it faithfully as unto the Lord. Thank you for doing that. Well today we're going to continue our series through the Old Testament and we're actually going to step back a little bit. We're going to jump back to a book that we skipped over earlier in the year. It's, it's the book of Ruth and in the book of Ruth we see, uh, we're ta- we, we talk about these two women who God does this amazing work in and through it's a story within a story it's a story of just this great tale of redemption of how god's redeeming a people unto himself from despair to delight from from hurt to hope and we even find ourselves today in 2020 in the middle of that story so if you have a bible handy maybe it's on on the, the coffee table beside you or in the other room would you grab that quick and We're going to read together. You can turn to Ruth chapter 1. And if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, I know it might feel funny being in your home, but would you stand at CA Church across all our campuses and services? We stand for the reading of God's Word because we believe the words you're about to hear, these next few words, are the most important words you're going to hear today. This is the inspired Word of God to us, and so we stand in honor of that. Let's read together Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the day when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kileon. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth after they lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Let's pray. Well, God, today as we look at this book of Ruth, as we look at this great story of redemption, I pray you would speak to our hearts, that you would inspire us, that you would lead us even closer and more towards yourself. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as I was chatting about the the Book of Ruth this last week with Pastor David, he helped me to see that the Book of Ruth is best broken down into four main movements. Or, Or if you think of it like a stage production, it's best broken down into four main acts. And so we'll call this first act, of which we read the first few verses together, we'll call this first act, Hard Times. This woman named Naomi, she has a series of setbacks. and She and her husband Elimelech and their sons, they move to Moab because there's a famine in Bethlehem, which is a bit ironic in itself because Bethlehem is translated house of bread, but there's no bread in Bethlehem. And so Elimelech and Naomi and their sons, they leave Judah, they leave Israel, and they go to the neighboring country called Moab. Now Moab, modern-day Jordan, has this complicated relationship with the Israelite people. It roots all the way back to the time of Abraham. They're they're descendants of Lot in Sodom, you know, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so, um, these people are, are seen as horrible, wicked people by the Israelites. This is where the family goes to escape the famine, but before long, any benefit that the family has from their move to mob quickly evaporates as Elimelech dies. Her two sons marry Moabite women, but shortly after, her two sons also die, and Naomi, she just can't seem to catch a break. And rightfully so, she becomes bitter. She's broken. She's frustrated with God. And then she gets word that things are looking up in Israel and, and that God is providing for his people. It seems that the famine's over and so she makes the move. She decides she's going to trek back to Israel, to her homeland, to return to her people. And so she urges her daughter-in-laws, go back to your people, go back, to, uh, go back and find a husband who can take care of you. Go to your mother's house. And, and after some convincing, one of her daughter-in-laws, Orpah, decides to do that. Decides to go back to her people in Moab, but not Ruth. Ruth won't have any of it, and in an expression of great loyalty, Ruth chooses to stay with her mother-in-law. And she says this beautiful phrase in verse 16, I want to read it to you, it says, Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. So they set out together, and, and when they get there, when they get back to Israel, people barely recognize Naomi. She hasn't been gone for that long, but maybe she's aged because she's just gone through so much sorrow and hard times in her life, or maybe they're used to seeing joy on her face and and now they see sorrow. But in verse 20, Naomi says this. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Naomi's perception at this point is so distorted by her pain that she can't see anything good in their situation at all. She arrives back in Bethlehem, a very bitter woman with a very poor view of God and a very low expectation of what he can do. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there right now in the middle of this pandemic. Maybe maybe social distancing and all the implications of COVID-19 are beginning to wear on you. Maybe you can relate with Naomi's kind of sense of despair. Maybe, maybe you want to say, don't call me Doug or don't call me Cindy or Laura or whatever your name is. Maybe you want to say, call me Mara because I'm bitter. And if that's you, that's okay. But stay with me because there is hope and we're going to get there. So this leads us into act number two and we'll call it seeking refuge. Naomi and Ruth are poor when they get back to Israel. They're very poor and they have nothing and so Ruth does what any poor displaced person in the ancient Near East would do. She begins to glean. There's this law in Israel and you can find it in the book of Leviticus that says that landowners aren't allowed to harvest all the way to the edges of their field. They can harvest the main portion but they have to leave a certain amount along the edges for the poor, the widow, the marginalized, the refugees among them to come and to gather up food for themselves. And so Ruth finds herself gleaning, and she's gleaning in these different fields. She finds herself gleaning in the field of a man named Boaz. And, and Boaz notices her in the field, and, and he says to his men, Who is this woman? They begin to tell him that she's the daughter of Naomi. She's this Moabite widow. And, and they tell him about the great loyalty that she possesses. Her loyalty, her character, her kindness towards Naomi, that, he, that she would stay with her, that she'd care for her and, and be loyal to her. And this gets Boaz's attention. He tells his men to to let her work in the fields, but he doesn't only let her glean along the edges, as the law would require him to do, but instead he says, come and work alongside my people, and anything you gather up throughout the day as you're working beside them, you can take home to you and your mother-in-law, and so she does that, and she brings food back to Naomi after that, and, and I imagine she's bringing back more than she can easily carry in her hands, and so she stumbles into the house. And Naomi is just blown away. Right away we see Naomi's countenance begin to change. She sees God providing for her. And she sees God certainly is up to something. The curtains close and that's the end of Act 2. Act 3 we'll call Finding Refuge. I envision this scene opening with Ruth and Naomi. They're debriefing over uh, maybe some hummus and pita. They're debriefing their day and, and maybe they're reminiscing. There's some laughter. And then Ruth casually mentions the name Boaz. And instantly Naomi's ears perk up. Boaz? Is that the Boaz who lives next to the neighbor with the six camels, just past the barley fields? Is that Boaz? And once they confirm that, what Boaz they're talking about, Naomi explains that Boaz is a relative of her late husband. And this is good news for them because this means Boaz could be their kinsman redeemer. Okay, what's a kinsman redeemer? Well the idea of kinsman redeemer is is not part of our society in the West, but in Hebrew law, in the ancient Near East, there was this provision made with the desire to care for the widow and the orphan to care for the widow and their families, and so it stated that the closest male relative to a deceased man could marry the widow to ensure that she and her family were taken care of. You have to remember this is a a patriarchal society where women don't have a lot of rights, and and so if you don't have a husband, you're going to have a really rough life, and so the Redeemer comes in and selflessly does for the widow and for her family what they can't do for themselves. So Naomi, like any bossy mother-in-law, she gives Ruth some very specific instructions. At um, At this point, Naomi is a lot less Mara and a lot more the old Naomi. And so she tells Ruth, get all dressed up and put on a nice dress, put on some perfume and go to where Boaz is and ask him to be our kinsman redeemer. So as Naomi has instructed, Ruth goes to where Boaz is, and after he's ate and drank, after a long day's work, he falls asleep, and, and when he's asleep, Ruth lies by his feet, waiting for him to wake up. And in the middle of the night, he stirs, and he sees her, and, he, and he's startled by it, and he says, who are you, what are you doing here? And Ruth, courageously in that moment, she, she steps up, and she asks him to play the, uh, the role of kinsman redeemer for them, to marry her. And so they have this interesting conversation in the night, and Boaz agrees to step up, but he does it with a clause. He's, he's a man of good character, and, and so he, he explains that there's this other guy who has a greater right to the role of kinsman-redeemer than he does because he's a closer relative to the family. So Boaz tells Ruth, as long as this other guy doesn't want to do it, as long as he doesn't want to step up as your kinsman-redeemer, I will be your kinsman-redeemer. Okay, Act 4. We'll call this Redemption and Joy. This is the good part. So Boaz confronts the guy who has the the first dibs at being kinsman redeemer, and for a moment it sounds like he might actually be up for the challenge. Any romantic who's, who's rooting for the Boaz Ruth love story is at the edge of their seats because it feels like this might be the end of that story. Uh, but after some time, the guy declines the opportunity, meaning that Boaz can step up as the kinsman redeemer, and he does this and he marries Ruth. And I want to read the last few verses of the book of Ruth. Chapter 4, starting in verse 13, it says this, So Boaz took Ruth, and she, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. And then to verse 16, Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of King David. I love the emphasis on Naomi at the end of the book. It's this beautiful kind of poetic way that the author who's been tracking with Naomi's story all the way through is showing that God redeems Naomi's story. God God hadn't forgotten about Ruth, but he also hadn't forgotten about Naomi. That he would include her grandson in the lineage of King David and therefore, get this, and therefore include her in the lineage of Jesus our Savior. It's beautiful. Well, there's so much that we can learn from the book of Ruth, but I want to leave you with just four things, four simple things that this, this book speaks into our lives, uh, especially in this moment that we find ourselves in, in, in the middle of a pandemic. So the first point, the first thing that the book of Ruth reminds us is that God is with us in the everyday, ordinary stuff of life. God's with us in the everyday, ordinary stuff of life. There's a number of moments throughout the story where Naomi and Ruth, they can't see it in the moment, but God is doing a work in them and through them and around them. He's guiding their steps. He's providing a way forward. Even as a poor widow gleaning in the field, he was leading them. He was working in the background and weaving it all together. And and he's doing the same in your life. He's doing the same in, in my life. He's using the normal, routine, mundane moments to shape us into the people that he made us to be. He's using the mountaintop experiences, but he's also using the valleys. He's using the great moments of celebration, but he's also using our suffering and he's weaving it all together. And as Romans 8 tells us, he's working all things together for good for those who love him. Well, today on Mother's Day, I think about moms. You know, there's so much of parenting that is incredibly repetitive. They say the years go fast, but the days are long and routines can seem so insignificant. When your kids are small, it's diapers and feeding and diapers and feeding and diapers and feeding. And in this moment, for many, especially if your kids are a little bit more grown up, it's, it's homeschooling while trying to work from home, kids hanging off your arms while you're trying to feed them and keep them alive and keep the, keep the house relatively clean. For many of us, days in quarantine is just the same day over again and over and over and over again. But I wanna remind you that, that God is with you in the mundane routine moment, so not waste it. I want to encourage you to acknowledge God in those moments. Invite him into the folding of the laundry or the multiple times that you wash your hands in a day or into the homeschooling moments and the times where you feel like you're just absolutely failing as a parent. Invite him into the lineups at Costco or into conversations with your spouse. God's with us in the ordinary stuff of life, but he's also with us in in the moments of great disruption. See, he knows the end from the beginning. He, he knew that there would be a famine in Bethlehem. He knew the challenges that Naomi and Ruth would face. You know, it's, it's often not until afterwards that we look back. That we look back and we say, Oh, God, that's what you were up to. You know, I'm so interested to look back on this moment, on, on COVID-19 and say, Oh, God, that's what you were up to in that time. And I want to be clear, I'm not saying that God causes these things. I certainly do not believe that God brought COVID-19 on us, that this is his judgment on humanity, absolutely not. But I do believe, and we see this in the story of Ruth, we see it all throughout scripture, that God uses the mess we're in to bring about his purposes on the earth. And there's sometimes seasons where where we can't see him, where, where it's hard to hear his voice, but keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes up because his providential hand is still moving in your life. He's providing a way forward. God's with us in the everyday, ordinary stuff of life. The second thing we can learn from the book of Ruth is it teaches us that we can be raw and real with God. I love this. Naomi shows us that God isn't scared of our emotions, that we can be honest about how we're feeling. When Naomi's husband and sons die, she's mad, she's raw, she's Mara, and and rightfully so. Some of us grew up in cultures where we were taught not to show emotion, that, that emotions are feelings that can't be trusted, and, and that showing emotion is weak. Even within the church, sometimes there's this pressure that we have to be happy all the time, that we have to plaster on a smile, and, and sometimes there can be a pressure to, to just pretend that everything's okay when it's not, to fake it till you make it. But that's not what we see in, in the life of Naomi, and that's not what we see modeled all throughout the Scripture narrative. Even David in the Psalms, there's, there's moments that he has this great lament, where he's very emotional, where, where he's raw and real with God, where, where he says, where are you in the midst of my sorrow? But many of us, in, in hopes to avoid emotions or to, to, to suppress them, uh, these uncomfortable feelings of grief or loss or sadness or anxiety or bitterness, many of us self-medicate with digital distractions or hustle or obsessive working out or food or Netflix or you name it. Dallas Willard once said, emotions are bad masters but they're great servants. They're great indicators of where our heart is at. And our emotions are are important to God. It's not wrong to feel sad or discouraged or bitter. In in moments of COVID-19, for many those feelings are incredibly justified, but invite God into those uncomfortable feelings. Be raw with him. If you're mad at him, tell him. He knows what's in your heart anyways. He knows what you're thinking. Some had wedding plans for this summer and and they've either been changed or disrupted or they're just not happening and and that's frustrating. Others had plans to go to university in in September and and at this point it looks like you might be still staying in your parents home in the fall and there's all these questions about what things look like as we move forward. Or on a day like Mother's Day. Maybe some have pain associated with this day. Maybe you didn't have a great mom and, and this day reminds you of the pains of childhood. Or maybe you want to have a child so bad and you've been praying and you've been trying, but nothing's happening. There's a historian of religion at Duke University. Her name's Dr. Kate Bowler. And, and she wrote some seminal work on the prosperity gospel. And she was, she was a critic of it from the start, but then at age 35, she was diagnosed with terminal cancer. She had a newborn child at home and, and her whole life was put in disarray. And in that moment, she found just how much that prosperity gospel mindset had, had crept in even to her own soul. And she wrote a, a book, and, and she has a blog by the same name, called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies of Love. She was recently on, uh, on the New York Times. They did a, an interview with her. And I want to read you just an excerpt from her interview. Um, this, is, this is what it says. The idea that we're all supposed to be positive all the time has become an obsession. It gives us mo- uh, momentum and purpose to feel like the best is yet to come, but the problem is when it becomes a kind of poison in which to expect that people who are suffering, which is pretty much everyone right now, are somehow always supposed to find the silver lining or not speak realistically about their circumstances. The main problem is that it adds shame to suffering by just requiring everyone to be prescriptively joyful. If I see one more millionaire on Instagram yell that she's choosing joy while selling journals, which, which which stay-at-home moms are supposed to write joy mantras. I'm going to lose my mind, she says. Well, there's another way to face dark times, and it's not with positivity, but with hope. That God is with us. And, And he doesn't promise that we won't go through hardships. Actually, he promises the opposite, that hardships will come. But he promises that he'll enter into our pain and our hardships and be walking with us. And yes, we have hope in this life, but as followers of Jesus, the greatest hope The greatest hope for us is just over the horizon and nothing can take that away from us. Not a global pandemic, not sickness, not disease, not loss of employment, not social distancing. Nothing can separate us from the hope we have in Christ. That being said, don't be afraid to feel. We see all throughout the gospels that even Jesus felt all sorts of things. You know, if we go back to the book of Ruth, one biblical scholar, one commentator points out that that Naomi comes back to Israel bitter but at least she comes back. You know, the the human response to brokenness is to pull away. To pull away from community, to pull away from those who love us, to pull away from God. But I want to encourage you, as, as the late Billy Graham often said, just come as you are. Don't clean yourself up beforehand. Come to God messy and broken and bitter. Embrace Jesus. Embrace the people of God in the midst of your mess. The third thing that the story of Ruth reminds us, is that God invites ordinary people to play a role in his redemptive story. The story of God the story that's, is a story that's been spanning over thousands of years. It's the story of God restoring and redeeming and saving a lost humanity. He's sovereign over, over all things, and yet, and yet, he chooses to use us, to invite us to participate in his redemptive work. And we see this in the story of Ruth, and in a number of occasions, in big and small ways, God uses humans, ordinary, willing people, to bring about his purposes on the earth. One of the big moments, or the obvious moments in the story of Ruth, is played out in the person of Boaz. Boaz shows shows mercy to a foreigner, to a refugee woman named Ruth. It starts with a simple decision to let her work in his fields, to let her eat with his workers. Then then he steps up as as her kinsman redeemer, and as a result of that decision, as a result of Boaz's decision to step up, God includes Boaz and Ruth in the lineage of Jesus our Savior. Where might God be asking you to step up? Where might God be asking you to participate in His redemptive work on the earth? And it's not always in big, hugely wide moments. You know, for, for many of us in, in this moment, in COVID-19, it's, it's in really simple ways in the background, in quiet, ordinary ways you know right now, we have an opportunity, like maybe never before in our lifetime, to bring the light of Jesus into our neighborhoods? Maybe participating in God's redemptive work for you looks like, instead of binging on Netflix, uh, sitting out on the front porch and engaging in regular conversations with your neighbors. Do you know that God can use those simple conversations to encourage, to breathe life, even to change the trajectory of a person's life? Just the willingness to slow down and chat with a neighbor can have tremendous kingdom impact. Or maybe it's phoning an elderly person in your neighborhood and offering to pick them up groceries when you do your next trek to to Costco. For some, participating in God's redemptive work looks like just loving the people that you're quarantined with. Parents, you have this amazing opportunity to invest in the spiritual formation of your children right now. They're home 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I know that can be challenging to all be under the same roof all the time. But maybe participating in God's redemptive story today means extending extra measures of grace to your kids and teaching them what it looks like to worship in the midst of adversity and challenging times. Dads, husbands, maybe it's loving your wife unconditionally and putting the kids to bed and and doing these these menial tasks. um, We can be modeling what it looks like for Jesus to love his church as we love our wives. Don't sit back and disengage. God's inviting you to join him in the restoration of all things. The fourth thing uh, that the book of Ruth teaches us is it points to an even greater story of redemption. Even on its own, the story of Ruth is a fantastic story, but the whole narrative, the whole thing is pointing to an even greater story. Uh, What Naomi's been crying out for from the very beginning of the story is a redeemer. Someone who will come from the outside to save them, to rescue them. Ruth and Naomi, they find themselves in this situation that they can't get themselves out of, this very difficult time, and they need someone else to come in from the outside and be their provider. They can't do it on their own. They have a need for which they can't be a provider. And the Redeemer is the one who comes in and seeks and saves and serves and does for them what they can't do for themselves. We are like Naomi. We're like Ruth. We can't save ourselves. We can't forgive ourselves. We can't deliver ourselves. One great preacher said it like this, Jesus comes in from the line of Ruth and Boaz and he comes to be our glorious Boaz. We needed someone to come from the outside because we were dead in our sins. Left to our own vices, we would destroy ourselves and the people around us. But Jesus, Jesus breaks into our reality. He comes to earth in the form of a human. He, He lives a perfect life, dies a death on the cross, that we should have died, it pays a price for our sin that we couldn't pay, we were incapable of paying so that we could be restored, so that we could be made new and be in a relationship with the God who loves us. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is life to those who are hearing it for the first time, but it's also life to those of us who have been following him for a long time. It's life because it reminds us that even though we fall short, even though we continue to wander, he welcomes us back and he shows us grace upon grace upon grace. God rescues a Moabite woman, an enemy of God, a least likely candidate, and he includes her in the lineage of Jesus. This reminds us that no one, no one is beyond the grace of God. No one is too far gone for the mercy of Jesus. God is in the business of rescuing people, of bringing hope to hopeless situations. So what can we learn from the book of Ruth? Well, firstly, that God is with us in the everyday, ordinary stuff of life. He's with you in the grind. Number two, we can be be raw and real with God. Express your emotion to him, what you're feeling. That God includes ordinary people like you and me in his redemptive work on the earth. And then lastly, it points to this beautiful narrative that's been written all throughout scripture, all throughout the last number of thousands of years. The story of redemption, that Jesus comes to seek and to save the lost. Well, we're going to take some time right now to sing, to respond in song. And as we do, I want to ask you just to ponder what God might want to speak to you through the story of Ruth. And then we'll close in prayer together.